as, as many of you know, we've been going through the Bible in our Sunday morning Bible study, through, through this gospel project material, and we've been um, going through the scriptures together. Uh, currently, we just finished up the book of Genesis, and we are now in the book, just starting this morning, we started the book of Exodus together. But the last few years, we actually um, started and we're going th- uh, through the, the New Testament. So we've been considering, um, quite, quite often, those of, of us who were together, we were considering the life and ministry of Jesus as we, we went through the Gospels together. We, we looked at his miraculous birth. Um, we looked at his perfect um, life and sinless life and, and all that that entailed. We looked at his, his penetrating teaching through the parables and his sermons, his compassionate healings, his miraculous heal- healings, right? Even raising people from the dead. We looked at his sovereign control over all of creation and, and many of his other miracles, his feeding thousands, walking on water, multiplying the wine at the wedding, and so on and so forth. These are some of the things that we considered together the past few years in our Sunday morning Bible study. But there was one area in Jesus' ministry that particularly struck me as we went through the Gospels together. And that was Jesus' authority and power over evil Spirits, demons, and even Satan himself. Most of us don't likely oftentimes think about the demonic realm or Satan or evil spirits. However, the scriptures tell us in Ephesians chapter 6 that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and principalities and the evil uh, forces in the heavenly places. And if that's the case, we better hope that Jesus has power over the demonic realm and Satan and his minions. Amen? For we live in a world where Satan is said to be the God, small g, and father of unbelievers, and that unbelievers are not following after God, but that they are following after the devil. And that the devil, along with demons, are actively even strategizing to blind unbelievers to every good and spiritual thing because they are in opposition. And we see evidence of this all around us. Because there are so many lost, confused, and hurting people in the world. So many that are just downtrodden and depressed and even suicidal, hooked on various forms of drugs to even try to cope with their problems. People worshiping various kinds of idols throughout the nations and even actively worshiping the devil in satanic ritual and demons and such. That happens in our world. We, we see that. Sometimes it's on the fringes. Sometimes it's in the news. Sometimes it's not right out in front of us in, in, in where we live, but we see that. And, and then also, we, we see in, in our day-to-day, unbelieving co-workers, right, that we rub shoulders with on a regular basis. Unbelieving family members, maybe those of us who had family members uh, and spent time with family during this holiday season, the evidence of unbelief 
and carelessness about the things of God and the gospel uh, was on display for you. And, and we see that people uh, in our community, or maybe we got friends from high school or people from college that we know, we keep in touch with on Facebook and such, and we know they have no care for the things of God. They're apparently blind to it, heartless and unmoved by anything having to do with the gospel. It's all around us. And we can get discouraged. We can even be tempted to give up any hope for these kinds of people in our lives. They're just too far gone. So many conversations we've had have just fallen flat. I mean, they've already made it really clear to us that they're uninterested in these things over and over. Or for some people, we just, I mean, just by the mere appearance of them, we look at them and we're like, they don't want to hear about the gospel. Uh, they want nothing to do with them. By the appearance of them, they're a little scary to even approach. You just, uh, people like this in our lives that we just kind of, just, all right, we just, um, we don't even want to talk to them, let alone share the gospel with them. We just mark them off of our list of people to be evangelized. Not that kind of people. Not those types of people. I've already had a lot of failed conversations. They're off my list. So we pass over them. And we move on and go about our lives. <laughs> but let me tell you, Jesus is mighty to save. And he's mighty to save even the most lost of sinners. And you know what? He even does that so that he might send them even as witnesses to his saving grace in their lives. Because the more bleak the situation is, the more evident it is that God was involved if something changes. We're going to look at one of those bleak situations today, this morning, in our Bible passage. Let me tell you a story this morning about a man, a man who is likely more lost than anyone that you know, a man who is likely more depressed and downtrodden than anything that you or I have ever come close to experiencing, a man who is more isolated, alone, and destitute of any good thing. This is a man that you looked at, you'd be frightened, you'd be afraid of to even approach. That's how bad off this guy was. Turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, and we're going to be reading together verses 26 through 39. And, and actually, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word together? Luke chapter 8 and verse... 26, this is God's holy and inspired word. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, 
son of the most high God, I begged you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart, depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these, so he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the city, the whole city, how much Jesus had done for him. You may be seated. The first thing that I want us to consider from this passage is that Jesus goes to the most vile and lost of sinners. We just saw here as we read the text that Jesus rides up on a boat and then he meets a guy on the shore, or rather, this guy meets him on the shore. And this guy was, as those in the south would say, in a bad way. <laughs> Demon-possessed, naked, homeless, crying, and even cutting himself with stones, as the parallel passage in Mark 5 tells us, bloodied. Living in a graveyard amongst dead bodies in the tombs ostracized by people, chained up, only to break out of those chains. This guy was in a terrible, terrible situation. So I ask you to consider again, have you ever thought that someone was so bad off that they were unsavable? I think I'd be right uh, to venture to say that maybe you might not have run into someone that was in this bad of a situation. Kind of the top of the list right here. That's who we're dealing with. Or to make it a little bit more personal here this morning, have you ever thought that your own situation was just too complicated 
and messed up to be fixed. Your family just has some problems. It's, it's just too much. It's no fixing it. The work situation, it's just, it's just messy. There's just too many entangled things, the boss and coworkers. It's just messy. It's too much. You just give up and you move on and you figure out how to cope with life. Maybe your marriage, have you ever been there in your marriage? Maybe marriage even on the rocks and struggles and fights and difficulties. It's too much. Consider this man's terrible situation. And then our whole point here this morning is to consider Jesus and how great Jesus is and what he does for this man. So we see here that the demons, this demon-possessed man, comes to the shore as Jesus rides up on a boat. Look with me in your Bibles at verse 28. Verse 28 says, When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. Now, right here, this demon-possessed man is confronting and discussing and talking to Jesus. These demons even... From within this man who had possessed this man, this is why this man was in such a terrible situation, this is why this man was so bad off, the demons address Jesus and they're afraid of Jesus. They say, do not torment me. They come right to him, fearful of Jesus, because the demons you see here, and we'll see later even in our text, that they feared that they might be thrown into hell for the final judgment before their time. They were afraid that they might no longer be able to roam around to and fro in this world, causing the kind of havoc that they so loved to cause. And the demons, the demons. We're talking about demons, dark, evil, the, the darkest thing that we consider. They are afraid of Jesus. And the demons within this man knew exactly who Jesus was. Do you see that? Jesus, Son of the Most High God. They knew he was the Son of God. Many commentators point out the irony of the fact that the demons knew so well who Jesus was, where the disciples oftentimes throughout Jesus' ministry were very confused about who this great Jesus was over and over and over, even right before our text. Look with me in, in chapter 8 and verse 22. Right before our text, before he rides up on the sea to address this demon-possessed man, he was actually out on the sea in a boat. Look at verse 22. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went out and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he woke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid 
And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? They're like, Who is this guy? Just stopping the storm? My goodness gracious. Who is this guy? The demons knew. They were fearful and shuddered. Jesus, son of the most high God. The disciples are like, who is this guy? So, though the demons knew who he was, the demons come down to the bank to approach him. Why, oh why in the world, if you're afraid of this man, would you come down to approach him? You'd think that they, that they would be going in the other direction, kind of playing hide and seek with Jesus, running away, trying to get away from him, not coming down to him. We're fearful. Why would they come down to him? Well, I believe that it's because Jesus, in his great sovereignty and plan was even compelling this man to come down to meet him, right? The demons had it their way. They'd go in the other way, in the other direction, because they were fearful. But this man comes to Jesus because of the great sovereign power and control that Jesus even has. And then also, Jesus intentionally had a plan that day to go to this man. Everything that Jesus does and is intentional. It's not just random and willy-nilly. He was there that day to, to address the demons and to rescue this poor and helpless man. Can you see Jesus and his great compassion in all of this? This plan to go to this man, he doesn't run away from him or try to lock him up amongst the tombs. No, Jesus goes to him. This man, who was scary to approach, to look at, isolated in this terrible situation, this mess of a man, Jesus doesn't cringe over him. Jesus goes to him even in all of his wildness. And that leads us to our next point, and number two. Jesus is mighty to deliver from the darkest of situations. Look with me at verse 30 now, Luke 8. Jesus then asked him, what is your name. And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. So Jesus here is now confronting this man, and he's even confronting these demons. So uh, the demons, even speaking through this man, says that, that his name is Legion, because many demons had entered him. Now, a legion of soldiers during that time was well over 6,000 Men, And in Mark's gospel account, because this, this uh, event is, is recorded in, in three of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and in Mark, it actually says that there were around 2,000 pigs that were drowned that day. The exact number of demons that were indwelling this man really isn't the point, and the text never tells us exactly how many demons, but what we do know clearly from the text is that, that there were many demons indwelling this one 
man, it's almost too hard to fathom how bad off that this guy was. He quite possibly could have been, in the history of the world, a person who was the worst off out of every single human being ever. He had tons of demons indwelling him. Look at this poor man. He was in a terrible, terrible situation because of this demonic takeover of his life. Well, what happens next here after the demons fearfully address Jesus and Jesus finds out the name? What happens next? Look with me in your Bibles to verses 31 through 33. Verse 31 says, And they begged him, not to command them to depart into the abyss. We talked about that earlier. They were fearful. They were fearful for judgment before their time. They knew who Jesus was. In verse 32, Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Jesus here now delivers this man, this poor man, in the worst of all situations. He delivers this man and he casts even out. He, 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 these, these demons go out of this man into the pigs even by his very command, his sovereign will, his permission, his plan. Uh, those, those demons were, were recommending these types of things before Jesus came. You know, this, this, this guy was in a bad situation. And if Jesus wasn't there, this guy was going to continue on in this terrible situations, possessed by tons and tons of demons. But no, Jesus comes there and Jesus delivers this man. Our Lord and King Jesus, he has no match. Demons even a ridiculously large multitude of them. And, and not even Satan, their great powerful general, is a match for King Jesus. It's clear here in the text. The last few years, I've been re-watching the Star Wars saga with my daughters. And up to this point, when we, we introduced Star Wars, our... Uh, movie watching consists of princess movies and Barbie dolls and then even, you know, tea party type stuff. And so, as you can imagine, the very fact that we were introducing uh, the, the Star Wars movies into the, into the mix here was, was a real game changer, as you can imagine. I mean, goodness, my girls could have watched it and could care less about it. Um, I know many uh, uh, kids who, you know, don't get into that kind of thing. But, but, but God, in his graciousness, uh, allowed this to be a fun thing for our family, the Star Wars saga. <laughs> but if you can remember in the Star Wars movie, and, and, and if you can remember the emperor with that, that hood and that pale face and just ugly-looking guy. I remember earlier on when we first introduced it, you know, we had to fast-forward through those scenes because those were too scary for our girls, and I don't blame them. Uh, but if you remember the emperor and all his evil power and lightning bolts and all that craziness, and then, of course, Luke Skywalker on the other side, the good side, and that they have this great match of, of wills, the, the dark side, and then the, and then the good side, and it's almost like this... 50-50 coin flip.
flip. Who's going to win? Is it going to be Luke or, or the emperor? Who's going to die? Uh, the force and all this stuff happening. And it's just this great match um, between the dark side and the light. But notice here in this passage, it's not like that with Jesus, is it? With one little word, with one direction, he casts these demons out of this wretched man into the pigs, and they were drowned. No lightning bolts or struggle or difficulty. All it was was a one-sided fearful, uh, fear, fear on one side and, and sovereign will on the other side, taking care of business that day. Jesus is mighty and powerful to deliver. Not this great struggle here. The demons are no match for Jesus. I want you to get out of your mind even this morning the comic book vision and view of Satan and demons. Satan doesn't have a pitchfork and a black goatee. But I also don't want you to be thinking that all this is, is some made-up fairy tale, and that's part of what the comic book vision, the cartoon vision, um, kind of leads us towards. He is real. Demons and Satan are fallen angels that are real. But I also want you this morning to fear not because Satan isn't like that emperor from Star Wars who's moments away from taking down Luke Skywalker no, he is not the equal of our great God. Our triune God is omnipotent, or he's all-powerful. Satan and demons are finite and created beings. They don't have all power. God is omniscient, which means that he knows all things. Satan and demons aren't omniscient. They only know some things since they were created Beings. God is omnipresent, everywhere present with us. Satan and his demons could only be at one place and at one time. Satan is not the equal to God here. God is great and he is unlimited. Satan is limited and he's a created being and he's no match for a great God. So we ought to have great confidence, especially as believers, in this great, holy, magnificent God. And just as a clarifying note here, if, if you are a believer bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, Satan or demons in the demonic realm, though they may tempt you for sure, for certain, uh, they cannot indwell you as some have mistakenly taught throughout church history. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and you will never, if you're a believer, be possessed by demons. Now, now that we have looked even at, at Jesus' great confrontation with the demons and considered uh, um, demons for a bit, let's get back to our poor man in this text, the man amongst the tombs. Because this guy was an unbeliever. He was an unbeliever, and he was possessed by many, many demons. Let's see together in our text how Jesus changes everything from this for this man. Look with me at verses 34 through 36. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. 
Then people went out to see what happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Oh, goodness, this is so glorious. This guy goes from this demon-possessed man by likely thousands of demons even, naked, homeless, depressed, living in the gravesite, segregated from family and friends. But then, but then after Jesus deals with him, he was free from demons, clothed, no longer depressed and cutting himself and bloodied, but now he's in his right mind worshiping Jesus. This guy's a Christian now. He's saved. He's a new man. All because of what Jesus had done for him. Praise God from this, for this miraculous conversion story of this man. Praise God that he saved the demoniac that day. Now you'd think after this miraculous display of Jesus casting out these demons from this well-known crazy guy that the people who witness it would be rejoicing. You'd think that. You'd think that, right? Wrong. Look at verse 37. How do they respond? Verse 37, we read, Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. Non-Christians, unbelievers, they don't rejoice at the work of God. But uh, they, they don't understand it. They turn away from it. Do you see what they did right here? Instead of rejoicing over this great transformation of this crazy guy, they kick Jesus out. They give him the boot. They want him gone. They're fearful. They don't love what Jesus did and can do. They were afraid of it because that's how unbelievers respond to the Son of God. They should worship and rejoice because of this great transformation. <laughs> this is the guy they were tying up in the village and kicking out, right? Because he was so crazy and unpredictable and dangerous. But instead of rejoicing, they want Jesus to leave. They fear because they have no eyes to see the great glory of all this, of what Jesus did. They didn't see it, but they feared what he did. Do you know and love Jesus here this morning? Do you love his work? Do you love seeing people get saved? Do you? Do you love seeing them grow? Christians, do you love them growing? Do you love it when people are praying together? Do you love hearing the preaching of the word? Do you love studying the scriptures to yourself? Do you love seeing the work of God in the world? Or, if you're really honest with yourselves, does it bother you or even embarrass you or annoy you? Does it repel you when these types of things are going on around you? And if that's the case for you, I would, I would consider and suggest that you're more like these townspeople who were kicking Jesus out of their city because they didn't want anything 
to do with them. What? What an evil thing for them to do, to respond to the great transformation of this man, to want Jesus gone out of fear. And also, what a revealing thing if you do the very same thing when it comes to spiritual life in your situation even to this very day. Now that we have looked together in the text at Jesus' great confrontation of the demons and his deliverance and even transformation of this wretch of a man, let's move now to our final point and see together uh, that number three, Jesus, you see, he makes witnesses or, or even missionaries out of those that he transforms. Look with me in your Bibles to verses 38 and 39. The man from whom the demons had gone, begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. (laughs) This transformed man. He just wants to be with Jesus in his earthly ministry, follow him around like the other disciples. And can you blame him? This guy was homeless and had nowhere to go, and Jesus delivers him, transforms his life. He does what nobody else could do for him. He was a believer now. Of course he wants to follow after Jesus. This guy's an eager disciple. He wanted to go after Jesus. Of course, for what he did for him. But, but notice here that Jesus has other plans for this man. He has plans to make him a witness or missionary to even these very lost people in the area. For certainly the surrounding area here um, that he would even preach the gospel to and, and share what Jesus had done for him were the same people, many of them, were the same people who were chaining him up even days before, wanting nothing to do with him. Maybe even some of the same people who were kicking Jesus out because of fear. Jesus is now sending them a witness. And he as any believer would, follows what Jesus has commanded and obediently goes to do what Jesus had sent him to do. This crazy guy is now a missionary, a witness to the gospel to these people. Now, it's it's ironic that these very ones who were chaining him up even days ago, wanting nothing to do with him, sending him to the tombs, isolating him, are the very same ones who are going to be witnessed to by this guy who was formerly this crazy guy, naked and bloodied. It's wild, right? They, these people now, not, not the former demoniac because he's saved, they are the ones in a dark place who are rejecting and kicking out the Savior of the world. And as the text implies, they are the ones needing the saving now. And it's this demoniac, the former demoniac now, that's going to share the gospel with them. We may understand these people not wanting a crazy guy possessed by demons out in the towns because of the danger that he posed, right? But notice here that... They were so lost that they also wanted Jesus out of the town. And when the guy was delivered and saved, 
They didn't want, they didn't want anything to do with this, this, this thing. They feared over it. They were unbelievers just like the demoniac was. They were just more respectable and less obviously lost than the demoniac, but they were still clearly unbelievers, not glorying in the work of Christ. Really, anything that inconvenienced them, they just weren't welcome there, both the demoniac and all his crazy ways as well as Jesus, both unwanted. But see here, this former crazy man is now charged to declare what God has done for him through Christ. An amazing conversion story. And notice also that the focus here is not what God had done just to change his situation. Not, look at me. Look at me now. I'm prim and proper and no longer naked and bloodied and homeless. Look at how wonderful I am. No, the primary focus is his circumstances changing because of what Jesus had done for him. If it wasn't for Jesus, this guy would be continuing in this terrible, awful situation. But because of Jesus now, the man in all of his torment and terror is now delivered and is a Christian. It's a testimony of God's grace transforming him. The, 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 the guy who was people were afraid of, the guy who was the, the least savable, the least salvageable, is now changed because of what God had done. It's evident that what Jesus had done... Jesus did something miraculous here. There's no other way to explain it. Now, you might be thinking here, this is all well and good and even quite miraculous. But I don't have demons. And my unsaved family members and friends don't appear to be demon-possessed either. And you may be right in most circumstances, but, but consider this. If you are a believer, you were once a child of the devil, dead in your trespasses and sins, following the ruler of the world, Satan, and devoid of anything good spiritually. But God, as Ephesians 2 tells us, who's rich in his mercy, saved you from your sin, and saved you from the demonic realm and forces that were at one time uh, uh, so influential in your life, suppressing you to all these good things. He saved you also, notice, not just to sit there and smile and do nothing. Saved you for a purpose, but to be a witness to the great salvation that you have experienced about what Jesus had done through you. If you're a Christian, that's why God had saved you, so that it can be evident that God is doing a great work in and through you. If you remember me asking you earlier, and if you thought to yourself, if you've ever thought to yourself that your situation is just too messed up or unsolvable, that your problems were just too complex and beyond changing. Let me tell you, the same Jesus who delivered this wretch of a man from the multitude of demons is the same Jesus who can and will transform your life from whatever impossible situation you're going through. Look, this miraculous story is a little bit more relevant to us than we might have first thought in our lives, even as believers. However, 
if you were an unbeliever here, and you're kind of like the townspeople who just want Jesus out. Maybe you're here today because you just feel obligated. This is just what you do. You go to church every week. This is just what you do. But in your heart of hearts, spiritual things, they truly, though you may not have even told anybody about this, they make you uncomfortable. The exclusivity of Christ as the only way of salvation, it makes you cringe. You don't want to submit to that truth. The Bible is not something maybe that you're submitting to, but it's something that you are trying to find your way around. You're fighting against even. Uh, it can't really mean that. Or you're, you're just molding it to kind of fit your lifestyle. If, if that is you here this morning, this story is not only relevant, but it is the very hope of life forgiveness of sins, transformation from the clutches of the evil realms that you need most. It is your only hope. If you're an unbeliever, you may be in the most desperate of situations. You may be downtrodden, depressed, and even to the brink of self-destruction as this man was. Or you might be here and you might think, on the other hand, that everything is just A-okay. Everything is all right. The religious stuff about Jesus, it's not really for you. This is, this is most unbelievers that we know. Most unbelievers aren't, um, you know, amongst the tombs and naked and bloodied and worshiping and devil, demons and possessed. Most unbelievers we know, they think it's all okay. They just go about their business, Right? They don't even think that they have a problem. They don't think that they're sinners under God's judgment. They don't. But they want nothing to do with Jesus in the gospel because they don't think that they need it. This religious stuff might be nice and fun and well and good for you, but it's just not for me, they tell you. They, they deceive themselves even. Let me, let me say something if you are in that situation. This wretched man probably didn't think much about God and spiritual things prior to this predicament either. And, and in fact, he was an unbeliever, so we know that he didn't. But let me tell you, even though he didn't think much about God and the gospel, even though he didn't think he needed Jesus to help them, him, he needed him anyways, even if he didn't know it. And so do you. And this man, as he found himself in prison and overcome by his own evil and sin, as well as even more overcome by the outside influences of evil, as the parade of demons came upon him, Jesus was his only answer. And let me plead with you this morning. Jesus is your only answer as well. And Jesus is mighty and powerful to save even the most lost of sinners in the most vile of situations and even make them witnesses to the end of the earth. So come to Jesus. Believe in Jesus, for he is mighty to save.